food. Uh, let's see. Hi, hello, welcome. Uh, welcome to a Torture Required Reading. It is one of our last episodes of the year. And Yay. <laughs> if you can hear it, Tori is not feeling well. I have asked Hi. her multiple times if she needed us to punt. Every time she said no. Um, I'd like the record to state that I'm a good co-host and said we can punt. And Tori said no. Uh, but it's that time of year again where things are a little hard for people without parents. And the world is unfortunately kind of on fire. Tori, did you get to read the very fun note from the U from the U.S. Department of Defense saying that queer people are actively in trouble? Like, we're at risk. We're we're like a panda. We're we're at risk. Yay! Another thing to worry about. Uh, so if we sound a little low energy today, it's not because we don't love or care about you. It's because uh, the world is on fire and not in the fun way, not in like the smash mouth way that we were all excited for. Listen, last week on Saturday, I got 16 glorious hours and then my entire life fell apart again. So, you know, my birthday can suck the biggest horse cock on the planet. There's a reason I don't celebrate it. Mostly because every year I manage to get sick and we have to cancel a party. So. I have nothing to do with that and yet I still feel bad. <laughs> uh, so yeah, there's a lot going on. And so I decided that I wanted us to basically just trash talk Hans Christian Andersen. Uh, for those of you who've been longtime listeners to the show, you will know I almost married a Danish person, got very close to marrying a Dane, and moving to Denmark. So this is fun for me. Uh, I got very close to marrying a Dane. Like, too fucking close to marrying a Dane. Uh, so, we're here to talk about The Little Mermaid, which mostly means I'm here to complain about the Disney movie. Uh, Tori... Made a lovely hot toddy that I was so impressed by. And then I took no pictures. <laughs> I have some champagne with some luster dust and it looks like a magical elixir. Yes. Which works because we're talking about a man who was very cold, very bad at dating, and then turned his love life into into a fairy a mermaid. Still listen to today, or still yeah. to read uh, today. And I'm not going to make a Taylor Swift joke because that's lazy. Plus, hey, Taylor Swift is much more attractive and actually dates well now. Literally. I would not I'd say I would not say Taylor Swift dates well. Uh, Tori, I'm going to see if I can unlock a fandom memory of yours. Do you remember a little yeah. fan fiction series called My Immortal? No. I so, think I heard about it in passing, but that just makes me think of that song by evanescence, evanescence because you are correct it's named after that okay. okay so for a certain subsect of our audience i have just said like the winter soldier trigger word <laughs> like it's like that in super who lock like to a certain subsect um, of our yeah, audience i have just unlocked like the winter soldier tumblr trigger word which is my immortal my immortal is this infamous fanfic it was a Harry Potter OC fanfic. And it was like everything that people hate about fanfic podomize, where it's like the girl's like, my name is Raven. I have dark hair and green eyes and I don't like anyone. The only things that matter to me are this and this. And it's like, it was everything. It's all the tropes people hate about fanfic, but like done earnestly. 
And basically reading this reminded me that sometimes uh, people that are famous aren't good. So this has been one of my number one lessons lately and why I've started self-publishing romance for the fun of it rather mm -hmm. than being like, I've been rejected for this thing that I decided I wanted to write that I really enjoyed. Um, just because you're published doesn't mean you're good. <laughs> um, remember Fifty Shades of Grey? <laughs> you know, um, I'm not here to I'm not here to unlock that conversation because I have a very love hate relationship with that. Because as much of me loves like self publishing, there's also a part of me that is kind of like gaslight gatekeep girl boss. Oh, I've been like, I gaslighted myself for a long time. Now, do I have works that I'm wanting to get traditionally published just to say I did it? I am. Yeah. So like I always I'm I'm hot and cold on it. Like depending on the day of the week that you ask me, I'm either like. Yeah, self-publishing is great. It's opened up the avenues for everyone. And then I'm over here just like, if I see one more quote-unquote urban fantasy that just rips off public domain shit, I don't give a fuck about you or your career. If I see one more urban fantasy that is trying to sexualize like the Mad Hatter from Alice in Wonderland or fucking they're the daughter of this god, fuck it, no. I don't care about you. I don't like you. I don't want to be near you. Meanwhile, all the uh, Hades and Persephone people in the background are coming for you. <laughs> Good. I've been waiting for this moment my whole life. I am so tired. I'm. I'm exhausted. I rather read straight woman Omega verse than anyone who's trying to be like, oh, and this is the modern urban fantasy of Alice in Wonderland. I've never had an original idea in my life. So I will say, there, being on TikTok has taught me a lot of things that I didn't want to know. Many things that I did want to know. Um, I'm starting to enjoy what they call the Belle being your favorite Disney princess to monster fucker pipeline. None of this shocks me. I'm disappointed, but not shocked. No, it's just so funny because it's like, I was explaining this, and I probably have explained this on the podcast before. The reason that women like monster fucker writing isn't necessarily the monster. I'm going to put that out there. It's because the monster is respectful and actually asks for consent. Except for The Shape of Water, where I don't know if that monster could consent. I don't know if the monster consented in that one. Yeah, I don't know if he consented during that at all. Anyways, we're horribly off topic. And I forgot there was a dumb thing that I wanted to show Tori from my trip in Japan. It is a Hedwig ring. That is massive. It is. So she can like just sit on my finger and hang out. Aww. I'm sorry. I know JK Rowling is canceled. But, you know, fortunately, Harry Potter sprung out of the earth independent of itself. Like just 20 or so years ago. I will say that the coolest museum I went to in Salem it's the like, witch talking board museum mm -hmm. and it's in the back of a Harry Potter store. Mm -hmm. 10 out of 10 recommend though. So we're here to talk about Hans Christian Andersen, get a little drunk and uh, ignore the problems in our current lives. Uh, if either of us again sound low energy, it is because the world is crashing down all around us. Tori, did you see my TikTok of my Christmas setup? No, 
so i literally had like a record playing of the charlie brown christmas soundtrack and like my lights changing colors in the background and then my christmas tree and one of my friends called it a gentle christmas rave and it's like perfect (laughs) that is get you like a pack of glow sticks i would i wouldn't know what to do with them i'd be like an overstimulated toddler just like me Oh, so yours was the first present that I bought in Salem. Just oh so my you gosh. Know. Oh my gosh. I am Don't gathering up presents at this moment like a fucking squirrel. Uh, so let's. Uh, so we have a creative title, which is It's a Giant Metaphor for Being Gay. Um, so I'm going to tell you the story of the Little Mermaid, but like evidently in the same voice that your grandma who smoked two packs a day would have. If, if Fran Drescher had to tell you the story of the Little Mermaid. That would be amazing. Now I really want Domino's Pizza, and I don't know why those are connected. But why they're... are those connected, Victoria? I don't know. Is Okay, we need to settle a score. Is Domino's the best delivery pizza? Honestly, I think they are. Okay. Because they don't taste like crap. I I must respectfully disagree. I do think it's Pizza Hut. But whatever goes into their little personal pan pizzas, I think it's that malt syrup. It's too fucking sweet. Yeah. I shouldn't get diabetes from pizza. That's not where I should be getting it from. It should be the Dr. Pepper on the side. So a Texas thing. Have you ever had Pizza Patron? Yes. I actually really like Pizza Patron. I would take Little Caesars any day over Pizza Patron. Gotcha. (laughs) I I actually ever had churros after having pizza because that's what they're about okay that's fair also they take pesos that's a huge draw that they take pesos yeah so that's something that kind of still blows my mind like nowhere in the united states takes pesos but pizza patron Patron. the pizza patron knows their audience knows where they are knows exactly what they're here about also sidebar so I bought some luster dust, like I mentioned, for my champagne. And I cannot tell you how suspicious a, wi- a vial of sparkling white looks like. <laughs> Just a vial of white sparkle. Anyways, let's talk about this book so we can get back to our lives for a brief minute. And uh, I think I have to go pick up prescriptions. Fuck. Anyways, a little more. I will say, yes. Texas, we need to get like ahead with the times. Because like weed is legal pretty much everywhere i've gone lately except texas yeah i mean texas texas won't allow drag shows or being transgender we're not gonna get weed anytime soon i i hate it here okay the little mermaid little mermaid lives in a really great underwater kingdom with five older sisters a dowager grandmother who i can now only ever hear as violet from downton abbey (laughs) and the father the widowed murking which disney has ruined it's not king triton in this book just so everybody knows he doesn't have a name in this book um but why mermaid doesn't have a name either yeah that's true none of nobody has names in this Mm. um I wonder why anonymity, um, but but seriously, like King Triton, they didn't have to go that hard with that. They, they no, she didn't have muscle body. There's a lot of choices in Disney that it's like none of you had to do this, and I'm not sure who this is for. 
oh, we're going to have a whole conversation about, wait, what? The sea witch? What? Anyhow. Um, so each sister is born one year apart. And when they turn 15, they're allowed to go to the surface for the first time to get a look at the world above. And then like mm -hmm. once a year after that, if they really want to. Mm -hmm. um, the little mermaid, so the tiny one, which I may refer to as LM from here on out. Um, she doesn't have a name, like we just said, and she watches as each of her sisters gets to go to the surface and they come back with these really incredible stories about how cool it is. And of course, she's building it up in her head. She is obsessed. She wants to go up top. It's like talking to me about, oh, yeah, I went to Iceland last year. Tell me everything. It's um, like Rumspringa. Rumspringa, yeah. It's, it's Mermaid Rumspringa, except you don't really like get out of the water. You just kind of check it out. So Say. she finally turns 15. The golden 16, age. I'm not a child. Anyway, um, she's like, I'm going to go do this. This is going to be amazing. And so she goes up top and she's like losing her mind. Like sights that would put a Victorian child in a coma. Mm -hmm. She is excited. Everything is amazing. And she sees this super hot guy on a ship and he's celebrating his birthday. And she's like, oh, I've never seen Dick before. And suddenly she falls madly in love with him, which would be uncomfortable anyway. But then a horrible storm hits the coast, mm -hmm. knocks a bunch of people off the ship, and the Little Mermaid ends up having to save the super hot prince from drowning. So she's mm -hmm. like, uh, when I want to touch this man forever. She puts him unconscious on the shore near this temple and she waits until a young woman from the temple and a bunch of ladies come to get him so she knows that he's safe. Mm -hmm. So the prince never sees her or even realizes that she's the one who saved his life. Which, yeah. listen, as that girl in junior high who helped the guy with all of his homework only to find out years later that he was gay as fuck. Yep. Nothing wrong. Yep, I've been there. So the little mermaid goes into super depression and asks her grandma if humans can live forever. And her grandma's like, those bitches, no. nah. No, you stupid hoe. Grandma was a savage. I loved her so much. So she tells the little mermaid that they have much shorter lifespans because humans are kind of worthless. She says, but they do have souls, so they get to go to heaven. And she's like, well, I want a soul. And her grandma's like, too bad, bitch. Um, she goes, Which is exactly how that should go. Her grandma's like, okay, mermaids live to like 300 years old. But then when we die, we turn into sea foam. And then we cease to exist. Which, <laughs> that also sounds like a metaphor. But we're not going into that. Um, so... The Little Mermaid's like, well, I want a soul. And it's like, okay, so get a soul. You can have part of a soul, but you only, like, have it come into your body on your wedding night. I don't like that. No. I don't, don't like, like that. No, thank you. I've never liked that. And so her grandma thinks basically this conversation is over. There's no way this kid is this dumb. Anyway, the Little Mermaid decides that she's going to find a way to be on the surface so she can get that soul. So she goes to visit the sea witch. And this is the part where I want to tell you that not once during these descriptions was the sea witch described to look like divine. She's not described to be ugly. She's not described to be evil. We're going to talk about the Disney movie later. And I'm the one saying, magical this, gay guy who saved it. This, this sea witch is morally gray. She's way more in line with the fae than anything else. Okay? Like... 
She's like, oh, you want that? Okay, this is how we do that. She's not like sign this contract. Um, okay, the so, Faye would the Faye would love a contract if they understood it. Um, so she goes. <laughs> the mer Little Mermaid goes to the most dangerous part of the ocean, naturally, because that's where the sea witch lives. And she's like, I'll give you this potion. Cool, right? Mm -hmm. It'll be wonderful. Um, and you'll be able to go up on land and, and I want your voice, which really is, I, I, I want your tongue, but that's, so she's, she's like, I'll go ahead and do this for you. Just know that, you know, there's a lot of downsides to this and you really yes. shouldn't do it. Like yes. the sea, witch is not fucking around. She's like, this is a bad call. She's like, every time you walk on land, it's going to feel like you're walking on sharp knives your legs are going to form and you're going to feel like you were literally being cut in half. You can never go back into the ocean and be with your family. Oh, and you have to find the, the prince, get him to fall in love with you, marry him, and then, you know, you'll go ahead and get that, that sweet, sweet soul you're after. But, you know, if you fail to do this, the dawn of the day he marries, so, like, basically after he gets married, you're going to die of a broken heart and you're going to go right into that sea foam. Bye-bye, no soul, nobody wins. And so if you're a parent reading this, or an adult reading this who spent a lot of time as a young woman or um, female presenting person being treated like crap, you're going to be like, oh my god, she gave you all these outs, don't do it. Don't do it. We're going to talk about life. that later because I have too many opinions. So the little mermaid hears all this shit and she's like, I'm in. <laughs> you son of a bitch. I'm in. She takes the potion, goes to the surface, and true enough, she feels like she's being stabbed. She ends up passing out naked on the shore. This couldn't happen in Jersey. Um, the prince finds her and he's mesmerized by how hot she is, even though she's completely mute. And the prince is like you know what? You're so great. I think I'm going to make you like my favorite companion and we're going to dance every night. Dance. Oh, I don't know anything about the fact that your, your feet feel like you're being stabbed every time you stand up. It's fine. So the, his parents are like, well, we're glad you have a friend, mm -hmm. but uh, we're going to marry you off. So we've mm -hmm. arranged a marriage for you. And he goes, um, that's gross. I'm not going to marry anyone except the woman who rescued me from the temple that night. I almost died. <laughs> and um, So surprise, his arranged marriage turns out to be to the woman who came down the stairs at the <laughs> temple and then helped get him back up. So they're like, okay, well you were only at the temple because you were getting an education. I, I, I like a smart girl. And so he confirms the wedding and everything's announced. And the Little Mermaid is in even more hell. She's now in emotional and physical hell. The prince and princess get married on a ship. The Little Mermaid is heartbroken. She's like, well, I gave up all this. Now I'm going to die. And her sisters rise up from the sea and give her a knife that they got from selling their hair to the sea witch. Cool. Um, and they're like, all you have to do is kill this bro. It's not hard. Lip, just stab him. Yeah. The blood will go on your legs. You'll be a mermaid again. It'll be great. Just fucking do it. And she can't bring herself to do it. <coughs> Throws the dagger and herself over the, this, the um, 
water as the ship, um, as dawn breaks over the bow of the ship. And she turns into foam, but she doesn't cease to exist. Instead, she becomes an ethereal earthbound spirit known as the daughter of the air. And she gets to become an immortal soul over time because of her selflessness. But she did do good deeds for mankind for 300 years. Bull and shit. If that ending sounds like it's tacked on, remember, that's a tool we'll talk about later. Would you like to meet our next mystery mouse tool? Forced <laughs> heteronormative Christianity. <laughs> it's not wrong. I know it's not. Would you like to meet a tool you can use for later? It's called forced Christianity and heteronormativity. <laughs> We're going to put that in our box for later. This may be useful in the future. <laughs> I hate this book so much, Tori. I was so happy that like it was so short. I was just like, here's some pages. I just want to talk crap. Tori just wants to talk to Hans Christian <laughs> because it is Tori's birth month. Um, yeah, I hate this book. I don't even think I like the movie that much, save for Ursula and the fact that it's written by a magical gay man. Oh, are we talking about Mr. Howard Ashman or are we talking about... Yes. Okay. R.I.P. is needed to him. Yeah. So, themes and symbols. We're going to keep this short mostly because I just immediately want to talk shit. Um, <clears throat> remaining silent. The fact that the Little Mermaid immediately loses her voice. Mm -hmm. And um, I do appreciate that song in the Disney version, though. Like... The men up there don't like a lot of blabber. They think a girl who gossips is a bore. I almost say whore every time. Oh, Tori, would you like to hear uh, our favorite new piece of trivia about cryptozoology? Sure. Or we can tell the guests at home. So if you know this about Tori and I, we both love cryptozoology. We both love like cryptids and monsters. And I was listening to a documentary or a video. I'm not going to call it a documentary. It's fucking cryptozoology. A video about the skateboard swamp monster the lizard man of skateboard swamp and uh <laughs> so i didn't know what skateboard meant i just thought like okay it's north carolina whatever it's it's fine it's it's a carolina it's one of the fucking carolinas it's, it's so much worse than you possibly think it literally stands for escaped whore swamp because women of the night would just run into it to avoid persecution. I was like, whatever, skateboard swamp, fine. It's some, maybe there's a mine down the road. It's literally a skaped whore swamp, which is where I live. So I'm, I'm the bog witch of escaped whore swamp. That means just Hosier's writing songs about you. Yay! Yay! Um, so the whole concept of remaining silent, basically, um, it, it's very much, and this is not, this is not a stretch when you know the story. Um, this is very much a, I have to be quiet because the pa Christian patriarchy will destroy me if I say anything. Or yeah. I express my emotional desires in any way, shape, or form, the entire world will explode. And there's, there's, okay, so I want to, I'm going to front load this a little bit because I want you guys to be marinating on it when we talk about it later. Uh, how powerful this is, especially to women, 
and to queer people and to trans people. Because those are three individuals who often feel like they are silenced by society, that they are not allowed to speak their mind, that they are not allowed to express their feelings, hopes, wishes, or dreams because of patriarchal Christian heteronormativity. Um, so there's something that truly resonates with a lot of people in this story. We're going to talk about that more in detail, but I want to go ahead and start planting that seed and get you guys thinking about it because it is a big deal. The Little Mermaid is one of the gayest movies that has ever existed. The story resonates with gays so much more because it is kind of tragic and melancholic. A lot of people, I remember The Little Mermaid was one of like the first movies that I remember people being like, it's nothing like the book. And you know, I'm like, a ch I'm a literal child and I'm like, I don't, I don't know what you're talking. I don't know who Hans Christian Andersen is. Like I'm a literal child at that point. I don't know what you're talking about or what you mean. But I remember that being like one of the first. And then the other big one was a uh, hunchback in Notre Dame, which obviously, um, yeah. <laughs> obviously that strays a bit from the book. <laughs> well, you kind of have to, because otherwise it's going to be seven hours of shots of the Notre Dame Cathedral. <laughs> it's going to be like, it's going to be like someone's family vacation photos, just like on a slideshow, but you know, like the mom knows Canva. So she put like a soundtrack on it for like five minutes and it has like some transitions. And it's like, oh, this is really cute. And then like hour six, it's like, what the fuck have you been doing all day? Uh, but there is this like silencing effect that Christian heteronormative uh, patriarchy has on a lot of people in society, be it women, be it queer people, be it trans people, be it people that just aren't Christian. Like I send out holiday cards every year and I always leave an option. You can have happy holidays or you can have Christmas. And that's something that still to this day blows people away. It's like, well, why doesn't everyone just celebrate Christmas? Because everyone's a fucking Christian. Like, that's just a reality of the world is not everyone's a Christian. When this yeah, first started, it was mostly for my friends overseas. 80% were practicing Muslims. I was going to say, uh, Islam is huge. Islam is huge. Yeah. And just, and especially like in the U.S., people just aren't cool with Christianity anymore. It's not fun. It's very yeah. cancelable. So I remember when I first, when I went to do study abroad and, um, you know, there was the whole joke about just tell people you're Canadian. There's a reason that you tell people you're Canadian and it's because there's an expectation when you get there. They expect mm -hmm. that you're going to be loud, mm -hmm. that you're going to be stupid, mm -hmm. and that you're going to be painfully Christian and try to convert them. Mm-hmm. A lot of my friends in the UK do not believe in God at all. Like, so that evangelical bullshit, that's homegrown, y'all. Yeah, it really is. And I think what's, so I actually got that a little bit in Europe as well. Uh, the big thing that I got was I would speak and I'd be eloquent and charming like I always am. And no one believed that I was from Texas. No one. It was so incongruent that one, I was black and from Texas. I think everyone assumed that like Texas was just like white nationals, which there was a lot of those. There's also a lot of people of color here. Uh, and that too, that I wasn't just George W. Bush, that I wasn't just a fucking idiot. 
that I was smart, that I was charming, that I was eloquent. And the biggest thing was that I was worldly. I could speak to topics that weren't just Murica. That was so mind blowing to people overseas. When I was in Japan and I could respond in Japanese, people were just like, who the fuck taught this bitch our language? <laughs> and it's like, I've been watching anime for 20 fucking years. Leave me alone. Uh, but it's crazy to think that how many people are silenced by society and you're right like there is that excellent part in the movie where it's like the men up there don't like a lot of blabber which a lot of dumb men don't uh tori do you remember that tiktok i sent you where it was a guy who had left a voice reply on a woman's video and she's like over the bar with her six pack and he's like yeah it looks like you go to the gym probably not as much as i do but like i could help you out at the gym since you seem to go to the gym sometimes like this bitch is levitating this woman is being held up by her arms and her abs. It looks like she is working on some sort of Olympic trial in that like, picture. When people say that they're like training to be in like Gandalf's army and stuff like that, that's what this woman looks like she's doing. And you're going to sit over here, oh, well, it looks like you go to the gym occasionally. I could probably help you out. She could like fucking press you. Be quiet. I mean I, I think what was done to Giles Corey was wrong, but I, I would also support that woman pressing that man to death with, with just rocks. Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. Do you want to talk about uh, selflessness versus selfishness? Yes. So in this, there, one of the reasons that the little mermaid kind of gets away with all of her stuff and why she gets a soul is because she rescues this guy. She rescues this guy because she loves him. Mm -hmm. um, she wants a soul, sure. But mm -hmm. her love of him is more selfless than her desires. So mm -hmm. she is shown to be selfless. Um, the funny thing is the writing of this was not a self. This book was not a selfless thing at all. It's um, no. No. <laughs> Um, no, we we see the the hard thing about this is like we can see from an outside perspective, and then like their little um, daughters of the air people can mm -hmm. see the selflessness from from a different location and know mm -hmm. that the desires behind it don't corrupt that selflessness. No, um, because it's the desires behind something that determine whether it's selfish or selfless. Absolutely. Um, I also want to sidebar that and say how much of that is entirely based upon uh, societal standards. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like so much of this book now just like, no, she's an idiot for doing any of those things. Yeah, the sea witch gave her so many outs. Men are trash. Like, why are you doing any of this? Stab the guy. It doesn't matter. <laughs> but like, that's societally acceptable now in some circles not every circle there are still plenty of circles that think that women should be in the kitchen and barefoot and pregnant and just not working not contributing which i i don't know how those men still exist like i don't know i don't know i don't understand just like economically why those men still exist well from from when this is written and even to um ibsen's whole um the dollhouse love doll's house we have these or women are expected to give everything up mm -hmm. they're expected to give up their romantic feelings if that partner finds somebody else which mm -hmm. is the case 
they are expected to um, be a good daughter. They're expected to like, this is one of the whole things about why, oh, you know, she, she was such a, she went to the surface by herself and she was allowed to, but she took it too far and now she's abandoned her family. A lot of it comes back to that female figure being the one who's required to hold all the pieces together. And there's such a powerful, like, virginity metaphor in there that is almost painful. That it's like, it is the woman that gives up everything. It is the woman who stands to lose so much more in these interactions and men do not treat them appropriately or well. Um, there was a the take video that's talking about like how Gen Z is dating, which still blows my mind because when you say Gen Z, they're still like children, but like they're in the workforce and shit now, which is horrifying to me. Um, and so much of it is focused on like inner confidence and inner beauty. And one of the biggest things that a lot of Gen Z folk are doing is like a lot more like open polyamory which I think millennials started, but like we were busy being slut shamed by our boomer relatives. Where's the lie? Donde esta lie? Um, um, or, or I think I might be bisexual. No, you're just doing this for attention. My favorite, and I was talking about this in a Discord server last night, was um. Do you remember in the 2000s, like, you might have had, like, a gay and lesbian, like, alliance, like, a glad club? Yeah. But they were the worst people ever. Mm-hmm. Because there were only two ways to exist. You could either be transgender or transsexual at the time. You could be cis-gay or cis-lesbian. And then only those two things had, like, two different portrayals. You gotta be, like, the butchiest butch queen lesbian. Or the jackiest of Jack's gay effeminate man. And if you were anywhere in between any of those lines. So like for me, you know, I came in bisexual and really not sure what to do about my gender. I didn't feel like, I didn't feel enough dysphoria to be trans. But I also didn't feel right as just cis. Just berated. It's like you need to pick a side. You need to choose uh, both sides of the spectrum gay men and lesbian women thinking that i'm some kind of like wolf in sheep's clothing like i'm infiltrating the other side just like trying to get their partners which stop thinking of bisexuals like we're wolves we don't care no and bisexual yes there's a reason there's a reason that there's a stereotype that bisexuals are painfully awkward and terrible at dating yeah we're not good at it no not good at it like we're not fucking we're not wolves we're not here to just like gotcha and then you know, like drag a gay man into like a bush or something like that's not what we're here to do uh there are so- <laughs> yes dragging him into a bush i don't even gotcha yeah <laughs> so i haven't finished it because it's so painful but there's that like hallmarky um single all the way movie for it's like two gay guys so of course you have the fake relationship trope like there's all the tropes but it's so over the top with with the just like stereotypes that you're going i know a lot of gay men and women and everybody between and outside of and you know what 
They've never done like, what that guy just did. And nope. <laughs> you think is normal. Not a single, not a single one of us. But um, I, I definitely, yes. <laughs> with the line, I don't know what it is about the gays. I don't have a problem with them, but they worship me. <laughs> and then she just pulls whiskey from somewhere. And Kathy Najimi is the mom. <laughs> <laughs> Every once in a while, people are like, why do folks still write fan fiction? Like, there's so much representation out in the world. Why do folks still write fan fiction? It's like, because this, this is our representation. This is what we're supposed to be represented by. Because you guys made a lesbian Christmas movie where Kristen Stewart was the main character when you had Audrey Plaza right there. She's, yeah, she is really pretty. She is really pretty. She's my I mean, kind of insane. She's in an episode of Criminal Minds where she has like brain sex with um, Spencer Reed because like she's like a famous assassin and she chooses to go on a date with him to like get her other assassin buddies out of jail and they have to do like mind chess and it's like really kind of like hot and weird. Okay, so the hottest slash no, it's not even weird. It's just hot. <laughs> my friend sent me a video today. Well, it may have been you even of. Gwendolyn Christie getting beaten up by Tom Hiddleston. It was either you or Steph who sent it. That to was me. not me. Okay. And it is in a play in the National Theater, but it is also the hottest minute and a half of film footage I have ever seen in my life. I think uh, my favorite is, yeah, it's watching Gwendolyn Christie just do anything. Mm hmm. She's just like every time I see her, it is that scene from Game of Thrones where she meets Olena Tyrell. It's like, aren't you just wonderful? Like that's is every time that's me. It's like, oh, look at you, aren't you just my, marvelous. My favorite is still when Torment is talking to the guy. He goes. Brian of Toth, the one who looks at you like she wants to eat your liver. Oh, so oh, you do know her. You do know her. I Gwendolyn Christie is just gorgeous, and she's so gorgeous. And like the fact that it's one of the things that I hate most about media is when like me like when a work will have like an obviously beautiful actor or actress, and they'll keep being like, "Oh, this person's so ugly. No one would ever date her. Why would you ever want to date this person?" And it's like it's literally like Gwendolyn Christie, and it's like if you nag her one more time i'm walking in i'm stealing jamie's gold hand and i'm bitch slapping all of you don't you neg her she's literally a goddess uh my most favorite part of that is in x-men um the the brett ratner one the last one where they do the phoenix saga again yeah and they introduce angel and his dad is just like, oh, you're so hideous and ugly. Look at you. And like, that man is a literal fucking angel. What the fuck are you talking about? But um, There so are thousands of women on TikTok who want to get railed by a man with wings, okay? Yes. And they're not even, it doesn't have to be angel wings. These girls are into bat wings. Okay, I know how bat wings feel and that does not sound sexy to me. I know how bat wings feel. I've held bats before. 
that's not attractive to me. The no. Uh, let's talk about mermaids as queer symbolism. So, I will get more in detail on this. But that's not an accident. It's um, not. Um, one of my favorite organizations that supports trans people in the UK are, are the Mermaid Society, like the Mermaid Organization. Because it's there's so much about, especially this portrayal of of transitioning from mermaid to human that while it is a lot more physically painful which not to say that medical transition isn't painful also not to say that medical transition is necessary but that feeling of being tied between two worlds that you're stuck and repressed in an old body or an old mode of thinking but up there, there's something beautiful and marvelous for you, whether it's getting out of the closet or transitioning, be it medical or not. Because again, we are not true scum. You do not have to transition medically to be trans. Uh, that there's just something that's so powerful about it. And I will say, as a queer person who's been more openly queer in the last few years, I could definitely feel that symbolism a lot more for the first time in my life, really. Because again, when I watched the movie, I was a child. And I didn't know that about myself. Um, even yeah. though, huh? Do you feel like when you're reading the end of this, like he's still punishing the Little Mermaid for having that feeling and having to, you know, endure hundreds of years before I she think can become so much of that is just the oppressive society around him. And I don't think that that's an excuse. I don't. But like, I feel like. Like, it does feel like, and I hate to bring it back to fan fiction, but, like, if you read some, like, early fanfic for people, you see that same punishing go down. You read fiction from people during that, and you see that same punishing. Um, the closeted homophobe is such a strong trope because of the absolute chokehold it has on society. Because of how scary and detrimental coming out or transitioning can be still for people like it can ruin lives it shouldn't i'm not saying that that's a good place to be but it is genuinely life or death sometimes for people that choose to either remain in the closet which is hell or choose to ignore that part of themselves which is also hell um but yeah, so much of that just feels like, because, oh, so if you were to ever dig up some of my old fan fiction from my cold dead fingers, um, <laughs> you would see a lot of punishment for sexual acts. Like if characters were openly sexual or had openly sexual proclivities, you would see them usually have bad things happen to them. I wonder what could have influenced me between the ages of 14 and 17 to have complicated feelings about sex and sexuality. Hmm, I wonder. I was raised by Southern Catholics. Of course I was punishing, especially my female characters, for being openly sexual and wanting to have sex because that's what was going on in my backyard. So I just, I feel like so much of that ending, you're right, is very tacked on. It does feel like almost like he took it to a friend who's like, you gotta take this gay shit out. <laughs> You gotta, you gotta cut it out, Hans. They're gonna think you're a fairy. You know? <laughs> Alright. So, I'm gonna skip ahead a little bit here. 
and tell everybody the story of the writing of the Little Mermaid. Yes. So Hans Christian Andersen kind of worked for this one guy. Guy had a really, really hot son named Edvard Cullen, which you can't make up because literally it's like Edward Cullen. <laughs> Yep. We're done. We're done. Anyway, Hans was very, very much into Edward. Thought he was the most beautiful thing he'd ever seen in his life. And uh, Colin was like, I really am not into men. Like, it's not my thing. And so, you know, time goes on and Hans just kind of watches him across the room all the time. And Edward announces that he's getting married. He's marrying a woman. And Anderson writes these letters about his suffering over his love for Collins. Mm. About um, One of the letters even says, my sentiments for you are those of a woman. He writes all of these just like really ridiculously passionate letters about, you know, I love you. Please don't marry this woman. You know, please just stay with me at a time where that's not even a possibility. Um, and Collins goes back and is like, listen, I'm not into guys. I'm I'm not. Just I not. don't know what to tell you. Like, I'm I'm getting married. Mm-hmm. And so Hans Christian Anderson bases a lot of this off of another book called Undyne, I think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, where basically a mermaid gets a soul. And he writes this as a love letter to Collins as a last ditched effort to get mm-hmm. him to like not move on. Instead, you know, we get this story that Evan Collins didn't say much about because a year later he um tr- uh, he Hans Christian Andersen just goes ahead and publishes it in a collection of tales mm-hmm. and we've been reading it ever since. So something very interesting and I have to find the source again, but Hans Christian Andersen's grave was originally moved uh, or has been moved. It was at one point in time in the same grave as Collins and his wife. Mm-hmm. Like he was he was shared the tombstone and they finally like broke it apart or not broke it the tombstone but um moved him to a different cemetery and it's just that whole thing of like even in the end he was they were like okay just i guess bury him with us yeah there's so much about that whole story that just feels very like okay but why like and unfortunately, that is the name of the game with most of Hans Christian Andersen's friendships yes. and relationships. Yes, that is. He led a very like sad boy life. He reminds me a lot of our sad boy Soren Kierkegaard. Um, what is it with the dates and sad boy? Okay, so he was born on April second, eighteen o five. He's in Aries. This tracks um, in Odense, Denmark. His father was also named Hans. <laughs> His dad's mom said all the time that they were probably related to nobility, which, you know, way to inflate sure your they are. Yeah. in the beginning. Um, but investigations have proved that this is probably very untrue. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's still this whole rumor that Hans might have, his dad might have been an illegitimate son of, the, of King Christian the 18th of Denmark. Like, you know, when your family delusions are multi-generational? <laughs> I don't know what you mean about that, Victoria. (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about. So what fascinates me is he, um, Hans Christian Andersen wasn't actually baptized for like a very long time. His, um, 
he was baptized by six godparents and his certificate wasn't officially drafted until November 1823. So like he'd been on the planet for a fair few years and why he needed six godparents. I don't understand, but he, everything about this man was extra. Yeah. I had, um, I had two and that seems like more than enough. <laughs> so he had an his dad had an elementary school education or the equivalent of and mm -hmm. so he learned how to read some books that most people weren't really into uh at the time he read arabian nights to hans and hans is like this is the coolest thing ever mm -hmm. meanwhile his mom was an illiterate washerwoman which for some reason <laughs> all i can think of my mother was a french prostitute with webbed feet <laughs> <laughs> or why are you like this i don't know so anyway his dad ends up dying in 1816 dad not approved but her his mom remarries two years later so his family is super broke and then he ends up having to leave this kind of nicer school to you know go study with poor children um <laughs> so it's like bye baby at 14 he moves to copenhagen and he decides he's going to become an actor um but he had a soprano singing voice still at 14 because not everything had dropped yet. He's accepted into the Royal Danish Theater and then his balls drop. So that didn't work out because he lost the soprano singing voice. But while he's there, yeah. somebody was like, you know what? You're a pretty good writer. I think he would be a good poet. And so he's like, oh, my God, someone showed me any modicum of joy from my writing. I will become a full time writer. Oh, man, it's just like us with our English and or history teachers. <laughs> I have been shown his praise. Dobby has been given socks. Right. Um, so Jonas Collins, who directed the Royal Danish Theater, is like, this kid is great. Um, let's send him to grammar school. He's going to do wonderful things. And he got King Frederick VI to go ahead and help pay for that. Okay. Um, they, the monarchy ain't doing shit. It's fine. Hans publishes his first story in 1822, The Ghost at Palnatok's Grave. I may have butchered that and I don't care. Um, the works that he writes are incredibly popular in, in Denmark today. Um, th so much so that there is a statue in Copenhagen of the Little Mermaid. And then mm -hmm. in the year 2000, another statue was built in Monaco. Um, Anderson wrote his brokenhearted thing in 1836 and again it was published in 1830 section 30 section 1837 in a collection of fairy tales so the initial reviews were not good so if you if you think that this was like a he published one thing and everybody loved it thing no 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 um, people talked serious smack about his informal style the his voice through the writing they hated it but while he was having problems in Denmark, he got a little bit of help. In 1866, Riverside Magazine for Young People goes, we'll give you $500 for 12 new stories. And this, this group is in the United States. Yes, they are. So he publishes 16 stories in the U.S. before they're ever printed in Denmark. Correct. So sometimes, I guess, just go to a publisher in another country. That's um, literally, Yes. Have the confidence of a mediocre white male Danish writer? 
Well, no, like that's what happened with Edgar Allan Poe, where like he was super famous in France, thanks to like Charles Baudelaire and some of the other bad boys of French poetry. But like no one gave a fuck about him in the US for a while because he was just a sad incel. But the French were eating that shit up. So the weird thing is too about this is a lot of the stories that we have that have become cartoons and you know collections of books that you have it, it you know oh hey we're gonna we're gonna read this story class we wouldn't have a lot of these unless a united states publisher said hey we'll do it mm -hmm. and then you got popular everywhere else they're like oh our baby we've always loved you we've never made fun of you um he's known for also the emperor's new clothes mm -hmm. the nightingale the steadfast mm -hmm. tin soldier the red mm -hmm. shoes, the princess mm -hmm. and the pea, the mm -hmm. snow queen, the ugly duckling, the little match girl, and Thumbelina. Okay. Um, and I the funny. Like, yes. Sorry, go ahead. I would like to wish a personal pox upon upon his house. The little match girl was a book that I was read to as a child all the time, and it has scarred me. I hate that book. It makes me so sad. Fuck you, Hans Christian Andersen. Fucking hate that book. <laughs> So remember earlier how you were talking about sad fuckboy Soren Kierkegaard? I was. <laughs> he did not like Hans Christian Andersen at I know all. he didn't. And it's amazing. Because, like, Denmark only has, like, three great exports. Lego, Kierkegaard, and Hans Christian Andersen. And two of them don't like each other. <laughs> I got so close to marrying a Dane. I can talk shit. Okay. So oh, you didn't mention the statue yet where you get to sit on his lap. I'm sorry. What? There's a statue of Hans Christian Andersen that you are encouraged to sit on his lap. I don't want to be around this man at a party. Yeah, he can sit on his lap. Okay. So I'm going to tell you all my absolute favorite portion of any story about Hans Christian Andersen is his inability to read a fucking room with Charles Dickens. Okay. Now, if you've this listened to the podcast for more than five minutes, you know that I hate Charles Dickens with every fiber of my being. And you he would know that I agree. Person. He was a very bad person. This is going to be fun. I'm excited. It's going to be fun. So, in the year is 1847. Hans Christian Andersen goes to England for the very first time. And the Countess Blessington invites him over to her house. Now, she usually has people show up at her house that are, you know, great writers and artists. And it's very much a salon environment. Mm -hmm. And so Hans is like, I have effing made it. This is amazing. He's out on the veranda. Charles Dickens comes by. And they end up shaking hands. And while for Dickens, it's like, yeah, okay. I mean, this baby writer I've never heard of before. Mm -hmm. But to Hans Christian Andersen, this was the single greatest moment of his entire fucking life. Okay? Okay. This is me meeting David Tennant at Alamo City Comic Con. Okay? Mm -hmm. This is, you know, getting a hug from Matt Smith level. That's to him. Hans Christian Andersen, or, or Hans Christian Andersen is like, this is the best day. Charles Dickens is like, Okay, I hate cool. this word. I mean, nice to meet you. Uh, I mean, I guess if you're ever in town, look me up or something. Mm -hmm. These are not the words to say to a fire sign like nope. our man here. Nope. No. 
10 years later, he shows up at Charles Dickens's house with no invitation, I would no say. message of warning. And he says, no. I am here to stay with you for two weeks. I know how much you must adore me. This is going to be wonderful. And already Dickens is like, I'm done. This is a horrible, horrible plan, but I'm not going to be shitty. Mm -hmm. Whatever. He can stay with us for two weeks. It's fine. So immediately Hans starts wearing out his welcome. Immediately. Yeah. With the, hey, um, your son needs to come into my room and shave my face. Charles Dickens is like, I'm sorry, the fuck did you just say about my child coming in here? <coughs> and he goes, well, I don't know how to shave my own face. So add that to the household expenses where every day Hans Christian Andersen would go to an appointment with a barber so he could shave his face. Nope. Because like, you don't just go up to your straight bestie and say, hey, I need you to shave me. Like, that's okay. Anyway, unless your friend is a barber and they're amazing. But so. Or it's been something that you've discussed before. Like, yes. Like, yes. I don't know. I guess I hang out in so many cosplay circles. That, like, we have all done some shit for each other that, like, this feel kind of gay. Um, but, like, that cosplayers are shameless whores. So it's like, yeah, sometimes you just got to put your knee in your best friend's back to lace them in. My so my friend is married to one of my ex-boyfriends and at one point in time at a comic convention she was writing the entire Byron poem down my back from Archer that's on Pam so I could be fighter Pam and he's like he came in just as like I'm putting my shirt back on from her using a sharpie and, and putting it down my back and he's like what the hell just happened I'm like see what happens when you leave your wife alone with yeah, we're honestly we're all we're all a little gay. So it gets even better. Not only is this whole facial shaving crap going on, like he just can't read a room. He wants to go everywhere that Charles Dickens is going. Charles writes a po uh, a play. He shows up at the play uninvited and sobs openly with the emotions of the play and embarrasses the crap out of Charles Dickens. He. Hans gets this paperwork like a review back saying how terrible his work is and he ends up collapsing on the grass of Charles Dickens's front yard screaming and sobbing into the day because of like getting a bad review <laughs> and it's Which, like relatable in the middle of this yard of a person whose house he's visiting he ends up extending his visit to a whole five weeks Mm -hmm. At which point in time, evidently, Dickens goes, oh, hey, uh, you got to go. I'm going to America. Mm -hmm. There's a belief now that he scheduled an emergency talking tour in the U.S. so he could have a valid escape to basically chew his own arm off so he could leave the trap. I love that. That is the level of pettiness that I strive for. And I do not like charles dickens but so hans christian anderson basically sends this letter and he's like i just want to thank you and you know it's so great that you let me stay there and it was such a life-changing experience and dickens never responds 
never responds. And Hans Christian Anderson is very, very confused about this. He's like, what happened? Meanwhile, at home, there's this whole anecdote that Charles Dickens had written a letter in a very professional way of saying what a dickhead it was that spent five weeks in this bedroom and basically pasted it on the door as like an inside joke to the family. <laughs> there is nothing about this story that doesn't feel like it happened just yesterday. Like, I feel like there are people that are going through this immediately. So it, it, it didn't just happen to to men. No, no. Although he did have a possible lover. Um, the story of the snowman is actually supposed to be inspired by Danish dancer, Harold Scharf. They were very, very close. They were together from 1861 to 1862. He mm -hmm. bought him a silver toothbrush and evidently they were not super discreet. Um, and that's why they ended up breaking up because Anderson wanted to be very out with it. And mm -hmm. Scharf was like, I don't want to be killed. And I would like to continue to have my dancing career. Mm -hmm. um, and he tried to get him to come back. It's uh, it's believed that Hans Christian Anderson was bisexual, mostly just yeah. because he did also have this obsession with Sophie Orsted, who's the daughter mm -hmm. of a very famous physicist, and Jenny Lind, also known as the Swedish Nightingale. If you've watched that really weird um, P.T. Barnum movie with that's all musical or whatever, um, you'll know who Jenny Lind is. I don't know what it's called. The Great the Showman? Musical. Yeah, that one. The Greatest Showman. I but hate P. that P. movie. Was crap. What? Yeah, I was say, he was terrible. I hate that. I hate that musical. So he ended up, well, Hans Christian Andersen ended up getting really upset because he was like writing these proposals mm -hmm. to Jenny Lind, who was like, hey, you seem like a real sweet guy. Uh... I see you like a brother. And so then he ends up writing the Snow Queen and the Nightingale based on her. <laughs> Not nice. Um, no. He didn't understand the word no. The word, let's just go there. He, so he really in, didn't. At the age of 67, he fell out of bed. And you're going to hear a lot of historians and stuff make fun of him like, oh my God, he never really recovered from falling out of bed. There's a possibility he also had liver cancer mm -hmm. and that he was just starting to show the signs and he, he hadn't really. Also, falling really sucks. Yeah. I fell out of the bed not too long ago. Like, I ended up on the other side of my bed. I was like on the ground. Like, what the fuck? It's awful. Like, we make fun of older people for having to have their hips replaced, but honestly, your bones I, yeah. usually get a lot more fragile. And I mean, I know what it hurt like to break my ankle when I was like 24 I can't I can't think any other way you know like yeah I, I broke my wrist when I was 11 12 years old I haven't been on the thing that broke my wrist in that entire time I fell off my bicycle I haven't been near a bicycle in decades so he ended up dying August 3rd 1875 mm -hmm. at the home of some close friends who were very mm -hmm. worried about him but also mm -hmm. yeah um, and at the time of his death, he was just very well beloved so that the, the Danish government was like, we're just going to pay you money for being a national treasure. How does how do you get that job? Uh, you have to be a sellout because I was trying to imagine what it'd be like to be a beloved Texas treasure. And okay. that would mean not being who I am. And I don't want to be Blair White. 
So, no. I don't know what that is. Blair White is like if you mix ContraPoints and Alex Jones. Oh. Yes. What? Yes. All right, then. It's bad. It's bad. It's, it's real bad. So Tori's brain is just like, how the fuck? <laughs> how, do we, how do we get away from this? All I can think of is Inside Job um, on Netflix where they reprogram Alex Jones' brain. And he starts screaming thing about loving Hillary Clinton. It was so good. <clears throat> so there are quite a few versions of this. I mean, if you ever go into like the Barnes and Noble, their like in-home publishing section or their discount section, you can find Hans Christian Andersen fairy tales very mm -hmm. easily. Um, yeah. And I do want to caveat really quick. One thing that I will say that I kind of hate about, like, the Disney machine is how little credit Hans Christian Andersen gets for any of his stuff. Like, most people who have seen The Little Mermaid as a movie don't know who Hans Christian Andersen is. And really? Disney is... Well, but that was Walt's plan, was that he wanted to separate it from its original work. That was Walt's master plan all along was he didn't want these to be fairy tales he wanted them to be disney movies so for i know like for me when i was a child i didn't know that the movie was based on a hans christian anderson book i would have been much more interested in the book because i was a terrible horrible child but You're like turn her into foam yeah just turn, turn to foam damn it but yeah, like that was that was Walt's plan all along was that he wanted to separate as many of these works as he could from the author. Um and Disney's been doing that forever. It's one of the reasons why yeah, like a lot of the original authors, like there's no mention of Victor Hugo during any of Hunchback of Notre Dame. Well, except, except for the, the Gorgon, yeah, except for the gargoyles. <laughs> except for the gargoyles, which to this day pisses me off. Um but there is no mention that this is, you know, adapted by or adapted from his work. It's just, oh, it's a cool idea that that one guy had. And they get away with it by bastardizing it so much. Because, yes, while I understand that you could not take the Hans Christian Andersen work as it is and turn that into a children's movie, you could not. Uh, I would also like to say there are plenty of movies for children that we had no business watching. And people think is okay. <laughs> Don Bluth. Yeah, and you aside, I am that I found out that basically instead of like using really any real Rasputin influence for Anastasia, he just basically took the story of Koshai the Deathless and put it there. Yeah, yeah, but one was entertaining and the other isn't. <laughs> Koshai could get it. That's all I'm saying. Oh my God, Tori, no, Tori, no. I'm gonna chalk this up to the fever. And I'm going to absolve you of your sins. <laughs> I'm absolving you of your sins. I'm going to chalk this up to the fever. So we can't walk past the Disney adaptation from 1989 that was saved by a magical gay man that Disney later shat on in his time of need. Uh, Disney took a lot of liberal uh, creative energy with this one, including giving everyone names. People didn't have names. Uh, making it a flat out love story when it wasn't adjusting the ages to make it less gross and 
the best decision that Disney ever made, which is making the Sea Witch based on Divine. <laughs> Who meowed? This is River. River! Here. <clears throat> you gonna say hello? Oh. Listeners, you have been blessed. Yes, you have. Sounds of River. Love her. So there are a lot of versions of this. There's one from the Soviet Union in 1976. Yes. Sure, Temple evidently did a version in 58. Yeah, but, she uh, also did some again. racist movies. Yeah, a lot of them. Um, Why does no one talk about her racist movies? Huh? Why does no because one talk about her racist movies? It's uncomfortable. I think it's very comfortable. Please talk about Shirley Temple's racist movies. So I, every year, Mark and I end up having this conversation. I get uncomfortable about the movie White Christmas, not because of the movie White Christmas, but because of the other movie done with Danny Kaye and um, Bing. Is it Bing? It's Bing. it's Bing. Holiday Inn is the most racist thing. There's a whole sequence with blackface. And I'm like... Wait, you're not putting on that one, are you? And Mark's like, no, no, this is White Christmas. This is the one with like, and I'm like, no, no. <laughs> Traumatized. I'm trying to think of the worst Christmas movie that I ended up liking a lot. Because like all my favorite Christmas movies are like the original How the Grinch Stole Christmas and then Charlie Brown Christmas. Every year until recently, I would put on the old Grinch and go, Oh, I didn't know Boris Karloff narrated this every yeah, year. Yeah, every year. It's one of the weirdest things because it's like, I feel like I know this guy, and it's fucking Boris Boris Karloff. It's like, oh, every time. But yeah, back to the Disney movie. Disney movie had a lot of impact. Disney movie also solidified a lot of the gay uh, trans messaging. In that, which is why a lot of queer people very strongly identify with The Little Mermaid to this day. For a lot of them, it was even the inspiration for coming out. Uh, I linked two resources about that because it's, I can see it now. I couldn't when I was a kid because this movie actually came out the year before I was born. So by the time that I was watching it, I was literally like a fucking child. Like, I it was just like pretty. I didn't even notice the Dick Castle Honey, none of us noticed the Dick Castle until many years later. How did we not notice the Dick Castle? <laughs> we were babies! Why didn't anyone say something about the Dick Castle? <laughs> Someone really should have said something about the Dick Castle. Um, <laughs> this is this is 90s childhood in a nutshell. Um, but like, I can see it. I don't agree with it because I do still think that it displays a little bit too much dysphoria for my taste like i i do kind of have an issue that every like gay trans story is like horrible and just like because mine was just mostly ignored like my aunts gave me a hard time for a little bit but then they mostly just thought i'd grow out of it and it's been 20 years so and i don't say that to discredit anyone who had a traumatic experience coming out i know that happens to a lot of people but it doesn't happen to everyone. So every depiction of someone's coming out just being like this horrible, you know, like fucking pose, like thrown out dramatically. Yes, that does speak to a group of people. It does not speak for the group. 
So it's almost like no group is truly a monolith. Shocking, I know. Yeah, I've. Did I ever tell you my dirty uh, laundry issue with Eugene uh, Lee Yang from Try Guys? You may have told me privately. So, audience at home listening. Firstly, it's that he yells at people of color when he should be yelling at his white friends. Like, his whole campaign for Beto, where he's, like, sitting in a room in San Antonio, like, you guys need to vote for Beto. You're speaking to a room full of Hispanics. We know. Like, you're yelling at queer people of color. We know. We know. We're aware. We know what our choice is. Even if we don't think Beto's that great. He's not. But, like, he keeps losing Victoria. You know, honestly, I would have been happier with a sentient raccoon stuffed toy. Yeah, I would have. I would have been happier with that one owl from the Japan Owl Cafe, Mr. President. Then Mr. I, President would have been the best governor, but now we'll yeah, never know. Now we'll never know because he's in Japan and he's an owl. Uh, but like I you're yelling, I I. Okay, if the choices are Craig Abbott and that owl. No, yeah. You know that owl would be like, mm, no, we're overturning all school debt. Yeah, that owl, that owl, I think, has some great uh, policy decisions he can make. But also, he made this, like, huge coming out video. And Eugene was always a little, mm, you know, he always felt like he was a part of the LGBT community, even when he was on BuzzFeed and didn't acknowledge it himself. Like, we all knew. We all knew. So he made this huge documentary, like music video, this this Eugene movie about coming out. And it's like, I want to share how important it is for Asians to come out. And it's like, yeah, both your parents support you and love you and think it's fine. Not all of us get to make movies, Eugene. Also, my favorite part is that, um, so he grew up in Pflugerville, which is right outside of Austin. And he talks about Pflugerville like it's Stevensville, and it's not. <laughs> he talks about Pflugerville the way we talk about Lubbock and Abilene. Oh, God. And it's just not, Eugene. I'm sorry. Am I going to say that you were bullied? Of course. I cannot say that, you know, because I wasn't there. But you're talking about outside of Austin, like we talk about Stevensville, like we talk about Lubbock, like we talk about Abilene. And it's it's just not, sweetie. It's not. So there was a little bit too much like dysphoria and pain in this for me as like a gay trans metaphor, because at the end of the day, yeah, she is still giving up a lot. Even if the movie minimizes how much she gives, she's still giving up a lot. There is still this awkward transition from, you know, being yourself in one world to being yourself in another world. That's hard. That's hard anytime. But yeah, there was still a little bit too much like, ugh ripping asunder and losing your voice and the wonderful but horrible divine sea witch who was still my favorite character of all time don't fucking at me i'm and and i'm r.i.p pat carroll who, who brought voice to the sea witch and grandma from all of the garfield movies uh, yes yes i remember i remember those things Oh, God. Tori, uh, did you have to read this in school? So we read, like, more of the Disney Disneyfied ones in, like, mm -hmm. elementary school. But we did have to watch La Sirenita, which is the Disney 
Little Mermaid in Spanish in our Spanish class. And we also watched El Rey Leon, the Lion King. <laughs> Sometimes stand and deliver. Um, I feel like they all just had like the same five tapes and they just rotated them between Spanish classes when somebody was out sick. Uh, I got to watch Destino, my favorite animated film in my Spanish class when I was in junior high. Because, of course, it's my favorite film. It's Salvador Dali animated by Walt Disney. It doesn't get much more Amanda than that. I do love all the pictures of them riding on, like, the giant train set. Like, the adult train set. Yes. Did you have to read it? I did not have to read it, but I watched the movie many times as a child. Uh, our next book is... Because it's Siltori's... Oh, God. The Witch of Blackbird Pond. And you know, this is just an excuse so I can tell you guys all about Salem, right? It's very subtle. It's very, very subtle. <laughs> so I do need to, like, stop picking writers that are still alive, though. Yeah, because I'm pretty sure we've murdered at least one. We've murdered the one, right? I thought it was just Toni Morrison who died after we talked about her. Yeah, like I said, it's just the one. So far, knock yeah, on all knock on a, I, I guess I'm a little tipsy because my brain was like, is Hans Christian Andersen still alive? No, you fucking idiot. He's very dead. Right after I said it, I was like, I know somebody's going to immediately go, wait. <laughs> Does Tori think Hans Christian Andersen is still alive? No! No, he's no. not. No, he's not. Uh... Tori, where can the good people uh, find us? We are all over the internet. We are on Facebook at Unfortunately Required Reading. We're on Twitter at Unfortunately RR. We never know if that's going to still be a thing or not. Um, Unfortunately Required on Instagram if you want to see sparkly alcohol. Or you can just go to our website at UnfortunatelyRequiredReading.com or email yes. us at UnfortunatelyRequiredReading at gmail.com. We also have a Redbubble that is officially updated with all the designs that I forgot to upload because I have executive dysfunction. Oh, <laughs> Including a Furbaka awareness sticker. <laughs> I'm sorry. Every time I go over the Furbaka thing, I just lose it. Because it's, it's deranged and hilarious. Uh, so we also have a red bubble. It's a great way to support us during the holidays. Also, thank you to our... Uh, patrons including baron von cheese plate happy holidays uh to those who decide to support us financially you can do so at uh anchor.fm slash unfortunately required reading slash support and uh we do greatly appreciate all of your funds it helps us uh keep the show going physically and metaphorically i'm always torn between like the patron segment of being like give me your fucking money or like <laughs> i don't want to beg I'm always torn, like, there's two wolves inside of me, and I'm always torn between those two wolves. Just, like, I'm no longer asking, like, crab with a knife. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, gimme! Gimme! <laughs> uh, but yeah, you can also buy merch. Merch helps out a lot as well. Uh, guys, it's kind of crazy out there right now. Uh, the years stop coming and it, the years start coming and they don't stop coming. Uh, that is a reference to 
Smash Mouth because oh, I was gonna say All Star by Smash Mouth because I am in pain, but it's gonna be okay. We got this. Happy holidays, and we'll see you in the next one. Bye. Bye.